Good morning, everybody. I am so excited to be launching a brand new series today called Relationship Status. Now, don't freak out. Don't run away. Don't get crazy on me. We, we, we've got a series that is designed to bless you, not to harm you. It is designed to grow you and develop you and encourage you and empower you. So don't freak out. I don't want all the guys turning off the, the TV and shutting down the laptop. This is a series that is going to bring power and strength and comfort and direction to your life. So stay tuned. Now let me tell you who this series is for. Number one, it's for single people. All right, so if you are single, that means anybody not married, if you are single, then you do not want to miss any of this series. So go ahead and click that subscribe button so that the next week's series will, sermon will pop up on your feed. It's for single people because God loves single people. I don't know if you knew that. God loves single people. I don't know if you remember this guy named Jesus, but he was a single guy. I don't know, I don't know if you remember this guy named Paul, but he was single. So God loves those of you who are single. Uh, there is no condemnation, shame, or fear involved with being single. God loves you, and we're going to be talking about that in this series. Number two, this is for married people. All right, so all you folks that are married, I don't care if you've been married for a day or I don't care if you've been married 100 years, there's some stuff in this series that God has for you. If you're divorced, this is for you. Go ahead and click that subscribe button. If you're divorced, click that because this is for you. All right, if you're widowed, this is for you. If, if it's just complicated, if you're somebody who just says, you know, I, I'm not really sure where I fall in my relationship status, it's complicated, this is for you for you. So I am thrilled to begin it today. Now, let me tell you why this series is important to you. This is why it's so important to you, no matter what relationship status you're in. Here's why. Because the greatest joy you have ever experienced and you will ever experience in your life and the greatest pain that you have ever experienced and you will ever experience in your life the greatest joy, the greatest pain is inextricably bound to the nature and character of the relationships that you are in. Just, just you can even do a thought experiment. If you want to go back and just pause for a minute and go, what, what's, what was the most, what was the happiest time of my life? What was the most joyful time of my life? I will guarantee you it has to do, that joy, that happiness has to do with the nature of the relationships that you were in at that time. And if you also look back and go, what was the darkest, deepest, most painful experience I've ever had, it will be tied to the nature and the character of the relationships that you were in at that time. So this is important to you because we are built for relationship. We are built to be in relationship with other people. So I just want to let you know that like this series is, is, is designed to help you strengthen and grow in all of your relationships. Now, if you are a person who says, you know, it's, it's, that, that ship has sailed. Like, it's too late for me. I, I've already messed it up too bad. I've already, I've been divorced four times. I, 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 I've, I've, I've blown it on every level. I've been unfaithful. I've been addicted. I've been, I've been messed up. And, and you just say, look, I, you know, look, I'm just trying to make it through. I'm not trying to flourish in my relationship. Let me just say something. God loves to make good things out of bad. He loves to make beauty out of ashes. God loves to turn something bad and messed up and, and, and 
smushed up. He loves to take that and form it into something beautiful. How do I know? Because I looked at every relationship in the Bible. Every relationship in the Bible, and I could not find a perfect one. What I found were relationships with people who were messed up. There was jealousy. There's betrayal. There's abuse. There's problem. There's lying. There's hurt. There's misunderstanding. Every relationship. The relationships in the Bible are dysfunctional relationships, okay? You can just look at any of Adam and Eve, Abraham and Sarah, Jacob and Rachel, uh, Samson and Delilah. You want to talk about dysfunction? So what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to look at these dysfunctional relationships and see how God made beautiful things out of broken things, which is what he wants to do for you. So here's what we're going to dive into today. We're going to dive in in the very first installment of relationship status to the very first dysfunctional family, the dysfunctional relationship in the Bible between the first couple, Adam and Eve. I'm going to start with Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Here's what it says. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And this is interesting because the very first thing that the Lord says, he says, The Lord God said, It is not good, not good for the man to be alone. I, my wife has been out of town for 10 days visiting my mom. And so I, I just want to say amen to Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. It ain't good for a man to be alone. Amen. She's coming back today. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, I will make a helper suitable for him, the scripture says. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they, this is interesting, they felt no shame. I just want to pause for just a minute because the very first emotion ever experienced by human beings as described in the scripture is the emotion of shame. Now, in this moment, they're feeling no shame. But if you know anything about storytelling, you know that however the character starts off at the beginning, they're going to experience the opposite within just a few chapters, right? So if your character starts off happy, he's going to experience sadness. If they start off joy-filled, they're going to experience some sorrow. If they start off perfect, there's going to be some imperfections. We know from this very first sentence, this introduction about Adam and Eve that says they felt no shame, that they're about to feel some shame. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God had told them not to eat from, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Shame has entered the garden. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And Adam answered and he said, I heard you in the garden and I was 
I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. This is shame. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman, <laughs> the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and, and, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Today I want to spend the next few moments speaking to you on the subject the shame game. The shame game. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this powerful story. Thank you for the power of your, of your, of your truth that speaks deep into our hearts and minds. Lord, I pray that today each and every one of us would allow ourselves to be vulnerable and open before you. That we would allow our hearts and minds to be exposed to the, to the beauty of your truth. That we would not hide and be afraid, God, but that we would walk towards you in the light of your truth, that we might be freed and liberated into the lives that you've called us to live, into the relationships that you've called us to form. Father, I just pray that the words would come out of my mouth in a way that is right and true and pleasing to you, and I pray that all of our ears would be receptive and hear the, the, the truth of your word come through by the power of your spirit. Speak to us, lead us, guide us, transform us, Lord, into your image. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. There's a great interview with um, the, the, the great jazz piano player, Herbie Hancock. Herbie Hancock played with the even greater uh, jazz uh, icon, Miles Davis. And in this interview, Herbie Hancock talks about a, a gig that they're playing in Stuttgart, Germany. And he says that in the middle of the gig, in the middle of the show, uh, Miles Davis had, had just started this beautiful solo on his trumpet. And if you know anything about Miles Davis, you don't know Miles Davis, you should just Google him. Just go on to YouTube. This dude was fierce. He was, he was amazing. And you don't want to mess up in front of Miles Davis. He's just, he's that kind of guy. Herbie, Herbie Hancock says, Miles was at the, at, the beginning of this, at the beginning of this solo, and he's playing this beautiful solo, and something happened for Herbie. He, he, didn't, know, he didn't know exactly what happened, but he hit a bad chord. Like the whole chord was wrong. The notes were wrong. And it just, it just, gla it was glaringly bad. Everybody in the place knew it. He said that even Miles stopped playing, paused playing, and Herbie just knew, like, this is his icon. This is somebody that he reveres, and he just blew it right in the middle of, of Miles' solo. He's, and Herbie said he just, like, stopped and he covered his face. He was totally ashamed. He had blown it in front of everybody. All of us know what it feels like to hit a bad chord in life. We all know what it's like to do something, to say something in front of other people that we just go, oh, I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe I just said that. And we just want to cover our face and hide. I know for me that there was a period in my life where I hit a very bad chord. I was about 25 years old. I was, uh, had just graduated from college, and my sisters and I were the first people in our family to go to university, and man, we were, we were cranking. We were, we were working hard in college, and I started getting really good grades. I was studying hard. I was at the front of the class. I was just gunning. You know, I was a gunner. I was like there just really trying my best. I started to get several scholarships for graduate school, 
I got a Woodrow Wilson uh, fellowship and a Marshall scholarship. And then I got something very prestigious. I got a Rhodes scholarship. And everybody was thrilled. My parents were so proud. My professors were so happy. The, 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 the staff at the school, everybody, my friends, everybody was celebrating with me. They, they interviewed me for the newspaper. They interviewed me on, on TV. And everybody's like, what does it feel like to be a Rhodes scholar? And on the outside, I was celebrating with them, but there was something on the inside that wasn't right. There was a voice inside of my heart that never came out of my mouth, but it was in my heart, and that voice was saying, who do you think you are? You're not good enough for this. You're not smart enough for this. They've chosen the wrong person. You are not who they think you are. You are an imposter. You are fooling them. You're not worth anything. You're not good enough. You don't have any value. Who do you really think you are? This voice kept going round and round and round in my mind. It was the voice of shame. It was the voice of shame from failures in the past that I had not dealt with. It was the voice of shame from insecurities that I had experienced and weaknesses that I had not addressed in my own life. And that voice of shame became so powerful that the night before I was supposed to fly to Oxford, England, I went out with a friend and I drank so much that I missed my flight the next day. I finally showed up at Oxford a a few days later, but I could never get my footing. I made friends and I tried to you know, get involved and be, be a part of things. But, but that voice just kept echoing in my mind. I started experiencing some fairly deep moments of depression. And within about a year, I, I dropped out. And I got to tell you, the feeling of shame that I had after having dropped out of this amazing opportunity, leaving the University of Oxford, was so great that I did not want to see anyone. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't want anybody to call me. I didn't want to look anybody in the eye. All I wanted to do was disappear into the ether and just go away. I ended up living in Los Angeles after that, which, you know, the best place to hide is in a big city. The best place to hide is in a crowd. And for the next several years, I spent my life hiding, hiding from others, hiding from God, covering, justifying, rationalizing, doing all kinds of things that I I, I thought might be able to help me get out of that feeling of shame. But everything I did took me further into it. The pursuit of power and sex and, and, and alcohol and fame and prestige, all of the things that I was trying to do to mask the shame drove me deeper into the spiral. And here's what I know about you. I know that you know the voice of shame in your own life. I know that you know what it feels like. I know that you know that feeling when shame washes over you and it's hot. You feel it on your cheeks and on your skin. You know that kind of heart palpitating, palpitating experience where your heart is beating fast because you're overcome with shame. And here's what I want to talk to you about today, because if we're going to find healing, if we're going to have real relationships, if we're going to have real love, trust with one another, closeness to God, we've got to deal 
with shame. We've got to deal with the first emotion that the first couple in the first book of the Bible felt we've got to deal with shame. And here's why. Because shame is the primary motivator, the primary driver of every destructive decision that you make. Underneath every one of your bad choices is a little voice of shame. Underneath your anxiety and depression, underneath your overeating and undereating, underneath your anger, your debt, your pornography, your infidelity, your apathy, your depression, your cynicism, underneath your suicidal thoughts, underneath the disdain that you have for your own body, underneath your pride and underneath your false bravado and arrogance, underneath your hunger for recognition, underneath your need to please others, your craving to be right, your, your longing to be respected, your need to be needed is that sinister voice that says you're not good enough, you're never gonna be good enough, you're not valuable, you're not worth anything, you're a failure. It is that voice of shame. And so what I wanna do today is I want to, by the power of God's word, free you from the path of shame, the voice of shame that echoes in your life and drives you down into the cycle of shame because that is not what God has for you. The scripture says, he whom the son has set free is free indeed. God doesn't want you, it says this, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. There's no shame for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said this, he said, I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. The, the, the spiral of shame, the cycle of shame, the voice of shame that you hear in your voice, in your, in your heart, that's driving you toward destructive patterns and behaviors is not the voice of God. It is the voice of the enemy. It is the voice of the accuser of the brethren. It is the voice of the father of lies. And so today, we are going to free ourselves by the power of God's word from the cycle of shame into the path of freedom. We're gonna cross over from shame to freedom, from, from darkness to light, from bondage to life, all right? So here's how we're gonna do it. I'm gonna walk you down the path of, of, of the cycle of shame that we, see, that we saw in this passage, and then I'm gonna walk you down the path of freedom, and then I'm gonna show you how to cross over from one to the other, all right? So let's go back to verse six, chapter three, verse six, and let's just see how the first couple got there. It says this, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Okay, so let's look at how we start this cycle of shame. The cycle of shame, let's put shame right here and we'll put freedom right here, okay? Because this is where we're going. This is where we're at. Shame. It begins with failure. It begins when we do the thing that God told us not to do. It begins when we disobey or violate God's law. That's where shame begins. Now here's where it gets complicated, okay? Because sometimes shame begins, it always begins with a violation of God's law. Sometimes it's our violation, what we did. Sometimes it's a violation that was done to us. And a lot of times, and this is, this is deep, okay, so I'm just going to dive in, all right? Sometimes people who are harmed, abused as a child, either physically, sexually, or emotionally, 
realize that they participated in something wrong, but they don't have the mental ability to understand that the wrong was done to them, that they were not the perpetrators of the wrong. Nevertheless, if they begin to feel the shame, then they begin to act out on the shame, and before they know it, they are caught up in the very act that they were trying to avoid. They are caught up in the very kinds of sins and failures that were uh, that, they, that they were trying to, to, to free themselves from. So we begin, it always begins with failure. Here, here, here's, I, wanna, I, I just want to say this line to you. Defeat can either lead to destiny or it can lead to your downfall depending on the very next decision you make. All right? So what we see in this, in this passage is that they, they committed a failure. They, they did a wrong. They, they violated God's law. And this immediately led... To what? It led to covering. Look at what the scripture says. It says, they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Let me ask you, who are they covering up for? They're actually covering up for each other. Because before that moment, it said they were naked, they were not ashamed. Now in this moment, after they have sinned, they are now covering themselves from each other. This is what we do when we sin. This is what we do when we fail. We try to cover it up. Right? When I was applying for the, for, the, for the Missouri bar, there's a character and fitness part of the exam. And the character and fitness part of the exam asks you all these very personal questions. Have you ever done this? Have you ever done that? Have you ever done drugs? Have you ever been arrested? You ever <laughs> Gets right up into your grill, right? And here's what they want to know. They do want to know if you've done those things. But what they really want to know is are you going to cover those things up? Because the cover-up is worse than the crime. If you admit to having done some things that you shouldn't have done, they're going to let you pass. If you say you didn't do them and then they find out that you did, you're disbarred. You see, what they, what they know is what we all know is that when we do something wrong and when that thing drives us to cover it up, now that thing actually has more power over us than it did if we would have said, yeah, 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 I messed up. I messed up. I confess, right? So, so what happens in this story is they fail and they immediately cover. And this is what we do. We hide we cover, we put on a mask, we say everything's good, we delete our uh, browsing history, we try to, you know, hide the things and, and, and do away with the evidence. And God's saying, look, I, 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 I see what you're doing, right? So now we, we, we might be able to hide from each other, but what they realize is you can hide from each other, but what about God? Which leads to your covering, which leads to the third thing they do, which is they hide. Look at this. In uh, verse 8, it says, They hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. So now they're not only covering themselves from each other, but they're running and hiding from God. There's a, a, a famous sculptor named Henri Vidal, French sculptor, and he created a statue of the character Cain. And if you look up the word shame on Google and you just go to Google Images, this, this sculpture will come up everywhere. And what it is, it, it's, it's the universal symbol for shame. It's a picture of a man who is literally hiding his face. He's covering, he's hiding, he's cowering. Because this is what we do when we feel shame. We hide and we cover because we don't want to be exposed. Why don't we want to be exposed? Because we are afraid that God will no longer love us if he knows us. We are afraid that other people will no longer love us. 
So, so, so the reason we experience shame is because we are afraid of being disassociated, disowned by other people. In fact, you can actually see in the scripture when they explain, when Adam explains to God why he was hiding. Here's what he says. Genesis 3.10. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. See, he thinks that God is going to to destroy him. God's going to stop loving him. God's going to do away with him. I was afraid, so I hid. But let me just tell you this. God cannot heal you if you are hiding. God cannot heal you when you hide your hurt. God cannot heal your hurt. And the, 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 the story of Adam and Eve is a story of people covering and hiding. God says this. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, this is a very interesting question. This is a yes or no question. Did you eat from the tree or did you not eat from the tree? Adam could say, yeah, I ate from the tree, in which case he's admitting guilt. He could say, no, I didn't eat from the tree, in which case he knows he's going to be found out. So his answer is very interesting. God says, did you eat from the tree? Adam says, The woman, (laughs) the woman, see, that's not a yes or a no. That's a deflection. That's a blame. The woman, you put me here, put here with me. She gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this thing you have done? And she immediately learned Adam's technique and she did the same thing. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. So this is what we do. We fail, then we cover from each other, then we hide from God. And then we blame others. In other words, we don't take responsibility. Blaming is one of the greatest ways for you to not take responsibility for what's happening in your life. You can blame somebody else. You can blame your circumstances. You can blame your mom. You can blame your dad. You can blame your situation. It's one of the best and most effective ways to help you avoid confronting the reality of your sin, the confronting the reality of your failure. Just shift it over to somebody else. My mom was a, uh, was a, a, a daycare um, principal for a while, and there was a little boy in her, one of the classes who had apparently had been acting up one day and not, not being very nice, and so my mom had to call the little boy in the office and the, the, my mom says to him, she says, why, why, did, why did you do what you did? Whatever it was that he did, hurt somebody or hit somebody or take somebody's ball or whatever. Why did you do that? And the little boy said, because it's your birthday and I forgot to make you a cupcake. My mom's like, that made no sense, right? Because it wasn't her birthday and the cupcake thing was just like, what are you even talking about? But it was, the, it was this reaction that the little boy had. He just, he needed to blame something. Like, he just needed to blame someone or something. This is what we do to avoid experiencing the, the full brunt of our guilt. Right? We blame. And then this is the unfortunate reality that happens. I don't know if you can see this because now I'm really writing on the bottom here. Repeat. When we fail, and then we cover, and then we hide, and then we blame, we inevitably repeat the cycle. We repeat the cycle. Whatever it was that we were trying to avoid, we do it again. This is the great irony of shame, because we do something wrong, 
We don't own it. We don't take responsibility for it because we're too ashamed. And then we end up doing it again because we haven't taken the time to fix it and to repair it. And so we just repeat it. Now, I hope you are not all utterly depressed at this point. But this is the cycle of shame that we all experience. This is not of God. This is not what God wants for you. This is not what God wants for his people. So here's the question that I have for you. How do we go from here to here? I want to take you out of the cycle of shame, and I want to take you in to the path of freedom. And here's how it works. I'm going to do this quick. It still begins the same way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Failure is inevitable. It's something that happens. It's something we do. It's the kind of world that we're born into. The world is broken. The fall of man is complete. And all of us experience it and all of us fail. So it's not about whether or not we fail. It's what we do after we fail. Instead of cover, here's what we do. We confess. Let me read you a scripture uh, real quick. Scripture says this. This is James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. Confession is the first step to healing. This is the opposite of covering. This is the moment when you are vulnerable in front of someone else and you say, I failed. I messed up. I did something wrong. You see, the power of sin is in the secret. This is the reality. Sin is only as powerful as it is hidden. When it becomes exposed to the light, it immediately loses its power. So the scripture says, number one, if you want to begin down the path of freedom, then confess. Then, remember, confession is between you and another person. Just like covering was between you and another person. But rather than hiding, after we confess, Scripture teaches us this. We repent. This is before God. Now, let me just explain what this means. This is, this is just very, it's, it's a very simple word. It gets all loaded with all kinds of context. But the reality of this, uh, of repent, is it means turning. It means turning from where you are going to a different direction. So just, just watch this. When you are not repenting, when you're hiding, you are literally turning your back on God and running into the woods of your own shame. You're hiding from God in the garden and trying to get away from God's power and his gaze. When you repent, you go like this. And now I'm going to walk towards you. I'm going to walk towards you. Why? Because I trust that you love me. I'm going to walk towards you because I can't keep going that way. Because the further I go that way, the darker it gets. I'm going to walk towards you because I trust in your grace and I trust in your mercy and I trust in, in your love for me. And God, I want to pursue you. I don't want to keep running from you. I want to start running to you. You know, if Adam and Eve had, had, had sinned and they had just immediately come to God and said, God, we blew it. We confess, we repent. I, I don't know what would have happened. But you can do it now. It's literally a matter of turning around. Here's how the scripture describes it in Acts chapter 3. It says this, repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. 
The very thing that you were struggling with, the very thing that's trapping you, keeping you down, will be washed away. Proverbs 28, 13, one of my favorite scriptures. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So on the path of freedom, we fa- after we fail, we confess, we repent. And then rather than blame, we repair. Sometimes after you sin, there's some cleaning up to do. After you've repented, there are some amends that need to be made. There are some things that need to be adjusted in your life. There are some things that need to be addressed in your life. But if you don't own it, you can't fix it. If you don't own it, if you don't say this is my sin, then you can't fix it. You end up in the blame game. And God's saying, look, I want you to Confess, repent, and then there's some stuff we need to clean up, right? And when we do that, here's where it leads to. Renew. You experience a new life. You experience a kind of freedom that you've never experienced before. You experience freedom from condemnation, freedom from shame, freedom from the oppressive sense that you're not worth anything, that God doesn't love you, that you're not of value, you begin to walk in newness of life. The scripture puts it like this. Therefore, if if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now here's the question. I'm going to close in just a minute. How do I get from here to here? How do I get off the cycle of shame and onto the path of freedom? How do I get out of this darkness and into this light? One of the things that, that I, don't, I think one of the scriptures that a lot of people overlook in this passage in Genesis is verse 21 of chapter 3. It says this, after they had sinned and after they had run and hid and covered themselves, the scripture says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. Now why is that a, 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 why is that a detail that a lot of people miss? Because what we see in that moment is that blood had to be shed in order to cover the sin of the beloved first couple. He had to kill one of his creatures in order to cover the sin and the shame of those who had sinned. This is something that's kind of hard for people to get, but it's really important. If we love and obey and worship an all-perfect and just God, God cannot allow injustice to go unpunished. God is just And so justice must be done. Just like if someone harms you and nobody does anything about it, there's an injustice that remains out in the world. God says, look, if you sin, there's got to be a penalty that will be paid to address the sin. So how do we get from here to here? This is what we learn from the scripture. This is the gospel right here. 
We bow before the cross. We bow before God's atoning sacrifice when he gave his son to carry our sin, to carry our shame, to take it up onto the cross and to nail it to the tree that you might have life. I can tell you for me, I I finally hit a, a, a stage several years after I dropped out of Oxford where it, was, it had become apparent to me that like the, the path that I was going down wasn't, wasn't going to work. It wasn't getting me where I needed to go and I was hiding and covering and, and my life was really was unraveling in many ways. And so I did something I thought I'd never do. I, I picked up the phone and I called a counselor in Pasadena a woman named Willetta, probably in her early 60s, African-American woman with a big smile and a big laugh. And I called her and she said, oh, just come into the office and let's talk. So I went, in, <laughs> went into her office and for the first time in my life, I just poured out my heart. All my fears, all my failures, all my indiscretions, all my weaknesses, all my vulnerabilities, everything that I had ever done, that everything that I had ever said, every, every thought that I had ever had, it just came pouring out. I began to confess. And as I confessed, there became a lightness that came off of me. The, the, the overwhelming weight and the voice of shame began to lighten. Week after week, I just talked to her. Just, <laughs> I just, everything in my life that I could think of it just came pouring out of me. About six months after that, I went from confession to repentance. In my own apartment, with the Bible in my hand, I bowed my heart before the Lord. I said, God, I want to serve you. I'm tired of running. I'm, tr- I'm tired of hiding. Then, as you might imagine, when I finished repenting, I was like, there's some work that we have to do here. There's some things that need to change. There's some habits and some behaviors and some attitudes that need to change in my own heart, my own life. There's some phone calls that I need to make. I need to address some things. There are some people that I've harmed. Some things I've done wrong. And that began a process of renewal in my life that continues on and on and on and on until this very day. Herbie Hancock said that Miles Davis paused when Herbie hit that bad chord. He paused for a second. He's on his trumpet. He said, and then something happened that just impacted his heart and his life so deeply. He said, Miles began to play a riff that turned that bad chord into a good chord. He said, Miles began to play in a way that suddenly this very bad chord that Herbie Hancock had played was interwoven into the solo in such a way that suddenly this horrible sounding chord sounded right because Miles Davis began to make it right. You see, God loves to take bad things and make them good. So I don't know where your relationship is right now. And I don't know what the status of your heart is right now. But I do know this. God loves to take those things that are broken and to make them beautiful. If you will allow him to. It's going to require vulnerability. It's going to require your willingness to open your heart, open your mind, 
Confess, repent, repair, and then God will begin to renew you. So if you're here today and you're watching online and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, I wanna invite you to become a follower of Jesus today. Today, you can fill out a connection card that's on the description and just say, I wanna follow Jesus. Member of our team will reach out to you. You can go to onefamilychurch.com Jesus. There are all kinds of resources available to you there. I just wanna invite you to take a step. I'm offering step two today, part of our next step session. This is where we get into the nitty gritty. How do we live out this life? How do we begin to follow Jesus? If you're making a commitment to follow Jesus today, join me at 1045. I'm gonna lead a Zoom call uh, live on Zoom at 1045 Central Time. There's a link in the description. There's a link uh, in the chat and in the description. If you're a follower of Jesus and, and, and you want to be a part of spreading this word, maybe you've experienced God's grace and freedom and renewal in your life, and you want to be a part of, of spreading that gospel around the world, join us, partner with us in giving. You can give at onefamilychurch.com give. You can be a part of bringing other people out of darkness into light, out of the shame cycle into the path of freedom. And finally, I want to close by inviting you to take the bread and the cup with us today because on the night that Jesus was betrayed the scripture says he broke bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said eat this is my body that's broken for you and then he poured out the cup and he said drink this is the blood of my covenant that's being poured out for you do this in remembrance of me It was Christ's sacrifice. It was his willingness to bear your shame that can free you forever, that can renew your heart, soul, mind, and body, that can restore your relationship and can put you on a path to your freedom. Thank you so much for joining us today. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.